Oh, hey, how are you going? I'm uh, going for a bit of a walk out here. It's it's a sort of a uh, it's a beautiful late morning in uh, Chatswood out here, and I'm. It's funny, I you get so used to a specific area and you build up a routine, right? So you know where the train station is or you know where your car park is and you know where you have to go to get the train in the morning to get to work to do the job that makes you money so that you can go home and pay the rent in the place that you're living in to get the work and blah blah and it's this vicious cycle but I've it's it's interesting I've I tend to really not actually venture out beyond that sort of well-worn path and it's something I've sort of really noticed in the last few years or so so Claire and I lived in North Sydney which is a suburb just across where the Harbour Bridge is and it, it really wasn't till we were about to move that we started exploring a bit more and thought hey there's, there's this museum that we didn't know that was here and there's this other stuff and hey look at that we could have been going to this restaurant or this coffee shop or we could have been sitting in this park and so you end up building up a, an appreciation for the place as you're about to leave it. This is a recurring thing that happens to me. I remember another example where when we were living in Singapore, we used to live in this place called um, uh, Bellevue. So it was a, an apartment complex. It was one of the older ones in, um, in the area near Dobie Gord MRT. And it was one of the more bizarre buildings I've ever seen. And I have not been able to find very many photos of it online and this when I was a little kid in the sort of the <clears throat> the, the mid to late 90s things like digital cameras were still in their infancy and film was expensive so I, I did have a film camera I had an, an, a little uh, Olympus trip but I think my parents at the time at least I felt like my parents would get angry at me if I wasted photos on our house, right? Because photos are supposed to be of holidays and things. Of course, now I'm the exact opposite. I love trying to take pictures of mundane things, but in interesting ways. I actually think there's a lot of creativity we have there. But this building was weird. It was the... It's hard to describe in, in words in an audio form, but it kind of had... It had triangular windows, which was weird enough but more so than that the triangular windows jutted out in sort of triangular prisms out the side of the building so if you imagine a triangle and you rotate it 45 degrees and then you stick another triangle on the other side of it and then you stick two more triangles on the bottom so what you have it almost looks like a diamond shape from the front and so it sticks out of the side of the building and three of those four sides are concrete and then one of the sides is a huge triangular pane of glass. Really fascinating design and the implication of building in these random things was aside from the fact that the building just looked really striking and weird from the street was that you suddenly had these really really big uh, what would you even call them window sills because if you're sticking out this window that's sort of a metre long out into the middle of the street, you've got an equally massive windowsill inside that's also in the shape of a triangle filling out that space. And what I used to do was, uh, of course being a little kid at the time, I actually used to build Lego kits and I would stick them on this windowsill. It was that big. 
and I, over time I sort of built up this whole sort of little city of buildings and I had a fishing line hanging off the top of it for airplanes and things. It was really quite interesting and actually it was one of the sort of first examples of learning about um, UV radiation and, and its effect on things because I remember I, most of my Lego that my dad bought me when I was a kid was the sort of legit stuff but occasionally we strayed into what were those awful blocks called the knockoff ones um ah uh, i want to say mega blocks but i'm not sure that that's right anyway that we had these knockoff ones as well and it's interesting that living in the tropics where the sun really really beats down on you and you know you're getting you're getting that sort of uh, uv all through the day really really strong if you're not careful you can get burnt to a crisp and the mega blocks so that I had incorporated into some of these buildings and things had started fading within months of being on this windowsill and the Lego blocks were perfectly fine. <laughs> so you would have this wall of blocks, say like they were this sort of red color, and then you would suddenly have all of these pink blocks dispersed around it as well because the red in the, um, obviously red fades pretty quickly in sunlight. So Anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. And in, in fact, in many cases, it ended up creating quite a striking effect because all the fading happened in uh, at different times and the position near the window dictated how much sunlight they got. And so you would end up in this thing where some of the bricks were more faded than others. And to this day, I mean, I still have boxes of this stuff which I haven't had the heart to get rid of yet. And every now and then if I'm sort of rummaging around trying to find something and sure enough I see some of these bricks and one side is completely faded to be almost sort of light pink and the other three sides are red because they were pointing away and although of course all the official Lego it looks as brand new as the day that left the factory so it's, it's almost like when you pay for quality and you pay more for it you get more stuff who would have thought Anyway, that was, was kind of an astonishing thing. Unfortunately, I can't even go and get pictures of that building anymore because the reason we had to move away from it was they were knocking it down. Although I shouldn't, I suppose I shouldn't be too upset about that because I remember reading up about it, this building, which I believe was built in the early 70s in Singapore. And by that point, it was only three or four stories high if you include the car park. Actually, five if you include the car park and in a place where they're knocking things down to build 70 floor buildings to kind of get that density up it was inevitable that that place was going to disappear but architecturally it was a real shame but yeah, I, I do feel like perhaps I shouldn't be too upset about it because people were angry that it existed as well because it knocked down, I believe it was a hotel that used to be on top of this hill it was this really amazing sort of Victorian era looking building um, like a colonial era kind of thing and it was made famous by the fact that I, I don't know where I got this factoid from and with the with hindsight and with a bit more skepticism I'm doubtful that it's true now but at the time I took it as gospel I remember reading somewhere that this building that used to be there before this triangular prism thing <laughs> came into existence it was the hotel that Albert Einstein and his crew used to go to when he was traveling around Asia. It seems like a really weird observational thing to, to, to remember or point out. And I, how often was Albert Einstein in Asia? I'm not sure. I know he went to Japan a lot, so that's 
but Singapore's, I mean, they're both in Asia, but Singapore's way down the bottom and Japan's all the way up the top. So I, <laughs> I don't really know how that works. Hmm. Ah, anyway, how are you going? Um, it's really cold out here. I'm, I'm actually going for just a, as I was saying, a bit of a wander. And to my point earlier about learning about the place where you live, I'm sort of venturing out a bit more and having a look around Chatswood. And it's a real shame with all this COVID stuff going on for obvious reasons, but a, a sillier reason, or I suppose it's not silly if you're the proprietor of these places, but I'm discovering all these new restaurants and cafes that I didn't know existed. So I, I derive a lot of my joy and satisfaction in life by sitting at coffee shops typing away on laptops and things. It's just a thing that I really like doing. And I thought, I thought Chatswood had a lot of coffee shops. I was like, wow, this place has sort of 12 coffee shops that I've been able to count. Well, now that I've been going on these sort of wandering trips, I've probably doubled that, if not tripled it. So th there's this street not that far from our house, and in fact, just up the road from our estate agent's office. And look at this, there are a couple of new ones. So we've got, in this building here in Macintosh Street, we've got a place called the Apothecary Coffee Store, which looks quite, it looks very, they've done it out to look very old and traditional and fancy. Apothecary will always remind me of that episode of Friends. A show which probably if I watched it now would just irritate me, but at the time, in the 90s, it was, it was such a defining thing. And, being a young kid at the time, I thought, wow, when I grow up, I want to live in a trendy apartment in New York with my friends too. Wouldn't that be cool? And now I think the actors were younger than I am now, which is kind of a bit scary. Anyway, yeah, so it's, I think it was that episode of Friends where they, uh, was it Phoebe bought that apothecary table from uh, like a big chain store it wasn't ikea but it was something like that and no no excuse me it was rachel who bought that and phoebe was really frustrated that uh, she'd bought this thing from a mass chain because why would you want to do that i mean uh, mass chains have no soul or character and why is she bringing this thing into her house and so she was making up all these uh bs stories about how it was imported from india and all this sort of thing and anyway it turns out at the end of the episode that phoebe knew all along that it was from this mass chain but she'd kind of liked that rachel had put the effort in to make up all these stories i, I thought that was quite sweet people can work out like that anyway so we've got that coffee shop there and then over here we've got another one this is the again it looks like it's done in that sort of art deco font which i really love it's called the mr peabody and they use Campos for coffee, which is all right. <gasps> and they've got Oatly, that oat milk stuff. Ah, oh, look at that. They've got brownies, muffins, coffee. It's, it's sort of that really sort of quintessential Australian cafe look. Wow. And they've got this sort of uh, tiled wall where every tile has a different picture on it. Like people have drawn, um, drawn things on it. And Let's see if we can read some of these. Sean is my name, coffee is my game. Yeah, let's <laughs> draw this. It looks like a mug of coffee, which I, knowing my artistic skills, I would have drawn something very similar to that. Welcome to the Hey You family. Not sure what that means. The, the not geek. Seems like a weird. <laughs> Go the mighty roosters. It's probably a sports thing. It's, oh, someone's actually drawn a um, Rocky and Bullwinkle reference, and it's like, I'm Mr. Peabody. <laughs> uh, 
And here's my, what was Mr. Peabody's human called? Mr. Because Pe Mr. Peabody was a dog and he had a pet human, wasn't it? That was kind of the whole, po the whole point of that. What was his, Sherman? My boy Sherman, was that it? I can't remember. Ah, I think it was Mega Bloks and I think it was Sherman. Was it Sherman? I might have to look that up later. Mm. And you've got all the uh, outdoor seating here, but it says, we've got a, a sign here, the Australian government helps stop the spread of coronavirus by keeping your distance. Remember, don't shake hands or exercise, or exchange, excuse me, physical greetings. Wherever possible, stay 1.5 meters apart and practice good hand hygiene. Yeah, we're, I, um, we're well into the, I think we're in 120 days now or something, aren't we, into this thing since it was first brought up in Asia? It, it makes me, uh, it, it, wor it does worry me a bit that it, it, obviously Australia being sort of a part of the Asia region, we got, we were aware of it, more worried about it back in November last year. And it was gradually getting worse. But, um, so it came relatively late to places like North America. I mean, I think it really hit Europe bad. And, uh, but now I think that the US is just off the charts. I really hope that, uh, I know most of you listening to this are over there. So I, I hope that you're, you're all going okay. Especially, it seems like all of our news here says that New York is, um, is the worst. Although I was reading today that Brazil is now one of the worst. Uh, Someone was writing a blog post recently about how it seems like um, far-right authoritarianism seems to be correlated with um, really poor response to this stuff. <clears throat> whether, you know, whether it be Boris or Trump or that... Uh, who's that maniac running Brazil at the moment? It's, ugh, it's scary. Anyway, I do... You, you kind of don't want to make this stuff political, but it's kind of hard not to sometimes. Especially when the livelihood of so many people and are in the balance. <clears throat> this is where you need to listen to scientists and doctors, people. I know conspiratorially minded people don't want to hear that, but sit down, shut up and listen to them, please. <clears throat> anyway. Where are we going now? So we're on the... What street is this? We're on Macintosh Street, but it's Macintosh spelled M with a lowercase C Intosh, not Macintosh like the computer. <sighs> I really, uh, the, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I, I feel like I have to now that I've, I've opened the door and I'm stepping through. As someone who has used Apple computers for the better part of 20 years, I finally succumbed to the butterfly keyboard problem. Um, a couple of days ago, I was typing on my keyboard, pressed down on the space bar, and it registered a click, but the button didn't really move. And so I'm thinking, uh-oh. Yeah, so for those of you who have a life outside of this stuff, it, it is kind of, you don't even need to be interested in tech or have any particular strongly held views on it to appreciate the absurdity of this story. And, and again, once again, I think it's not even a, a, an issue with technology. It's an issue with people. I think the media push so hard on the technical aspect to a lot of things. And as a technically minded person working in tech, I actually think the stories are more often than not about the people, not about the tech itself. And how we got this far and the decision process and how things were handled and stuff, I think is far more insightful and, and uh, necessary now than, than just merely talking about the uh, technical aspect of things. 
because ultimately it's people that inform these problems and, and create them, right? Tech itself doesn't care. Well, wasn't it they said the uh, same thing of things like nuclear power and all that, that um, technology is not inherently good or evil? But for the most part, there are obviously examples of uh, where it is. But yeah, so this story, the condensed version of it was that uh, if was I think about four years ago now, Apple came out with this very, very thin laptop. And one of the ways that they were able to achieve that level of thinness is they re-architected the way the keyboard works. So, you know, when you press down on a key, there's when you press down on something, there's some sort of mechanism behind it. Something has to give. I think there was a story about that. And so what would happen is you would press down on a key and it would travel a certain distance and then register a click. Well, to make these keyboards thinner, they employed this new key mechanism and they called it the butterfly key switch. Now, leaving aside the fact that for people like myself who make a living typing on these things, the fact that the keyboard feels awful there are some people who like it, but for the most part, the reaction was pretty universally negative. It just, it feels bad. And the thing that I found worse than that was it sounds bad. Because you're bottoming out onto metal, that's the sort of the, the technical term, unfortunately, for this. When you press down on a key and it hits the bottom, it's, it's called bottoming out the key. Doing that on one of these butterfly keyboards, it sounds like ricochet gunfire. And especially in peak hour on the trains coming into work, um, there are a lot of people, I guess there are a couple of rich areas nearby where I live here. So getting the train in, there would be a lot of these people with these expensive Apple laptops. And it would be click, 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 click. And sometimes you'd be in a train carriage with 10 people going click 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 and it's really loud obnoxious sounds and I'm sort of sitting there early in the morning I haven't fully woken up yet and it's sort of when you listen to that for five minutes it becomes irritating when you're listening to that for half an hour you start wanting to punch people it's like will you stop that godforsaken noise but no, unfortunately, that wasn't even the worst of it. The worst part of it was that the mechanism basically was so fragile and uh, so ill-suited to working in the outside world that all you would need is a microscopic piece of dust or lint or grit or sand, things that you encounter in the real world because a laptop's not used on a desk. You take it out with you. That's kind of the whole point. Um, any of this sediment would get into the key and it would make it not work anymore. And to kind of add insult to injury, aside from the fact that Apple were just completely ignoring it as an issue for a long time, the, again, the way that they had architected it or designed this thing, the keyboard couldn't just have one of the keys replaced. You had to replace the entire assembly and it would cost hundreds of dollars. So, yeah, the whole thing was kind of just a real disaster. At least, well, as much as you can use that word in, in IT stuff, it was just such a... it was absurd. So, you would have this keyboard. Now, it started getting a lot of traction. People really... the, the voices were getting harder and harder for Apple to ignore, um, especially after a Wall Street journalist reporter wrote her entire article talking about this keyboard with one of these broken ones. 
So she was hitting the letter E and nothing was coming up and she was pressing J and it typed it twice, things like that, because these keyboards were so fragile and broken. And she didn't use a spell checker, so the, the visual effect was that she had written this whole piece talking about how bad these keyboards were and how irresponsible Apple had been in handling the situation. And you could tell because the whole thing was just completely mangled with all of these either superfluous or missing letters. So eventually, I suppose it was really hard for Apple to ignore this thing at this stage. So they started doing this replacement program where you could, um, you, you know, surprising, they actually fulfilled their obligations as a hardware manufacturer. If there's an issue, they would replace it. Um, even if it was out of warranty, at, at least for a few years after that. And they kind of tweaked the keyboard after a while, they made a few more revisions, and they added this um, plastic thing which they claimed was uh, designed to improve the tactile feel of the keys, but everyone knew it was really to make it so that it was harder for dust to get inside and cause those problems. But eventually, I guess, they realized that this was really bad. It was causing a lot of bad publicity. Um, it was co costing them a fortune in replacement. So the latest generation Apple keyboards, I'm, I'm pleased to say I'm super relieved that they've ditched that whole thing entirely and they've gone back to using the scissor mechanism that everyone for the last 30 years has been using. Anyway, and on foot, that's the condensed version. There's so much more to that, which is just mind-blowing. But anyway, so, I mean, that's really good if you get a new machine now. You're not getting one of these awful keyboards. But unfortunately, I have a work machine, and it's a year old, and it has these key switches. So when I'm sitting there in social isolation on my balcony working from home, <laughs> slowly going crazy at... at um, the fact that the four walls look the same and I barely get a time to go outside or do anything uh, anymore and I can't see friends and I can't... It's... It, it's people, people out there in the real world actually have real problems. I, my problem just stems from the fact that I'm just mind-numbingly bored with, with my existence. So, it, yeah, I've, I've got it reasonably pretty good. But still sitting there just slowly going crazy and then I hit the space bar on this keyboard and it registers the press, but it doesn't really move. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> so does this mean in a couple of weeks I'm going to be typing and suddenly I'm not going to have a space bar anymore? Uh, and then I'm going to get it replaced. And uh, what a... Uh, it's just you suddenly have that feeling of dread. Um, I don't have a car, but I imagine you say, for example, you have a car. I can only imagine this must be a, a similar issue where you're driving down the street and suddenly you start hearing a noise from your engine that you don't recognize. And you think, uh-oh, <laughs> something about to go wrong. My car's out of warranty. I'm going to have to service it. It's going to cost money. You know that it's, it's frustrating because it's a cost that I guess ongoing maintenance is a thing and, it, and it's you kind of have to count factor that into any kind of financial decision you make at the outset but it's still sort of money you weren't expecting to have to spend and it's going to come at the cost of something else so I mean in my case it's my work laptop it's not my personal one but still like I work at a, a cloud startup and I talk with the CEO of a coffee on the phone every day like I it's I kind of feel more like my job as a family at this stage so I know that that money is going to have to come out of his expenses and stuff 
and then and then what happens with that like if i go to get it replaced and have spend how many hundred dollars that still means i'm going to be without a work laptop for potentially how many weeks and with this covid stuff going on i'm not sure how quickly that's going to be able to get fixed and uh, yeah i suppose that is kind of a first world problem isn't it Anyway, so I'm, yeah, I'm probably going to just go for a bit more of a wander around here. I, that, that was strange. I wasn't expecting to talk about that. But as you could tell, I was uh, uh, particularly frustrated with that. There's, oh, look, there's another one. The Touche Cafe. There were freaking coffee shops everywhere here that I didn't know about. Who would have thought? Also, the entrance to this building is quite fancy. It looks very 90s. There was this time in the 90s where foyers and things used a lot of glass but I guess they still didn't have the technology to make giant sheets of glass so they would make smaller sheets of glass and they would stick them together with these giant wires and things and it looks very it looks very 90s <clears throat> oh that's that's some cover art right there <laughs> 